Well, good morning. God bless you. I said it before, but uh, if, if there's uh, one day out of the week where the weather's going to go south on it, it's going to be Sunday morning, guaranteed. But you're here. So praise the Lord for that. You know, and Happy New Year. Uh, we're heading into uh, a brand new year, and, and God just gave me a great verse heading into this year because, you know, we're really, we're processing 2021, you know, I mean, thank God that's in the rearview mirror, but, you know, we got to look into 2022, right, and, and the leadership that we're under in our country, just the, the things that are taking place, this is what God says, uh, Deut- Deuteronomy 31 verse 8 tells us this, and the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee, he will be with thee, he will not fail thee, he won't forsake thee. Fear not and don't be discouraged. That's what lies ahead in 2022, the presence of Jesus Christ. And that's what we can take hope and encouragement in today. So happy new year to you. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much that it's your word that doesn't return void, but there's a purpose in why you plan it in our lives. And we pray today, Father, that your word would find its purpose in us and that we would yield ourselves to its wonderful leadership and its authority. We thank you so much, Lord, that that this is your church, Lord, and and we ask you to meet with us here now, Lord, as we assemble together as the family of God and at the beginning of our our week, Lord, that we just want to encounter you and we want your presence to be here. Because, Father, each one of us here in some area of our life, we need a touch from you. And, and Lord, we, we want that intimacy from you, Lord. We want to draw from you everything that you want to bless our lives with so that in return that we can be vessels of honor that are bringing glory to your name until the church crosses the finish line, perhaps even this year. So we bless you, Lord, and we thank you for your love and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be in Genesis 25, if you want to turn there with me. Halfway point of the book of Genesis, we're probably going to be picking up the pace a little bit here as we uh, continue to move on. Um, but just a challenge going into this year um, for you, I, I, I think really there's two options in our life right now, because uh, there's a good chance we might be actually physically embraced by Jesus this year, and hopefully the, the church is going to cross the finish line <laughs> maybe this year, uh, but here's the thing, you're either going to fall into or fall away from Jesus this year, and, and the decision really sometimes needs to be made right now at this moment. A lot of people make resolutions. I don't make resolutions because I hate to set myself up for failure. But, but I feel like uh, sometimes we just need those certain times to set up Ebenezer stones in our life. And you say, you know what? I got to tighten up some things in my life. And, and if that's you today, I want to encourage you, tighten those things up. Because you know what? It's not going to be easier out there. God's not looking to cause us to escape the trials and the tribulations that are out there. He's looking to make us stronger to handle those things. So Genesis chapter 5, here's where we're at. And, and you know, we picked up taking a look at this guy that, that is known as the father of the faith. He's the friend of God, Abraham. Right? Starts off at Abram, pagan uh, idol worshiper called out of Ur of the Chaldees to go into a land. He didn't even know where in the world he was going. He just responded to this God he wasn't even really familiar with that spoke to his life, but kind of slowly he, he obeyed and he went. And what we find ourselves now is we tracked his life for the last 13 chapters. We're in chapter 25 and his life comes to an end. But, you know, as I look at that, here's one of the things that to me is such a reality, is 
it went so fast, just our observation of it. And even though he had 175 years, in a, in, in a, on the line of eternity, this life's just a vapor. It's just an absolute vapor. And, and, and now we're watching him cross the finish line, and he's going to enter into his eternal reward. But for us, we get to glean so much from his life. As a matter of fact, Abraham, I read this this week in a commentary, that the only one mentioned more in the New Testament to really point back at him as an example that we should all follow is Moses. Moses, I think, was mentioned 80 times and Abraham 70 times. But he was the father of the faith, and, and on top of that, he was the friend of God. I mean, think about that. Think about just leaving life knowing that you, you left behind a legacy where you were the friend of God. Speaks a lot about a wonderful relationship. And, and that's what Abraham had as he walked with God in this world. So we're going to pick up in verse 1. It says, uh, then again, Abraham took a wife and her name was Keturah. So so this would be his second wife. Uh, we've already saw, we saw this a couple chapters ago, that, that his wife, Sarah, had already died. She'd already gone home. So after Sarah's death, uh, he takes another wife. But, but here's something, and it says, She bare him Zimrah, and Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shu, Shua. So there's some names you don't want to name your kids. But um, so one of the things we see here, though, that's kind of miraculous is that if you look in Romans 4, it says that Abraham didn't even consider now that his body was now dead and Sarah's womb was dead. So we know that really they were both of them were past the age of childbearing and, and, and they gave birth to Isaac and he was the miracle baby, right? Because both their bodies were dead. So what do we see here? That actually the miraculous was still taking place inside of Abraham. The miraculous was still taking place. I mean, here he's bearing kids after the season of childbearing. So I butchered all those. No, I think I pronounced them right. But uh, verse 5 says this, And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. When we look at this, I think we have to ask ourselves today, Christian parents, what kind of an inheritance are we leaving our children? Our minds right away can run to the material. You know, I'm going to leave them the business. I'm going to leave them the house. I'm going to leave them my possessions. And I think that's biblical. I think that's very biblical um, to leave behind even material possessions. But I think the most important thing is the spiritual inheritance that we're going to leave our children. I believe that this was prioritized because it was eternal. And Abraham left to Isaac not just the material possessions that he had, but he left behind a father that displayed integrity, transparency, honesty, godliness, faith. These were the things that were left behind. It would be his influence, his example, the testimonies that he would share, the wisdom that he had gleaned, the insight that he had gotten, the truth that he had learned, the vision that he had received, the love of God, the faith in God, and service to the kingdom of God would be the inheritance that he would plant in this man named Isaac. If you will, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 for a moment. Here's the reality. Someday we will leave. Here's the question, though. What will we leave behind? And I think the challenge goes beyond parents, but it's anybody that has influence on the generation below them. The way that Paul did is he 
invested in lives. This is what he says, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, and the things that you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same. Commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So it is the ongoing legacy of godliness through the truth of God's word, uncompromised, because Timothy's telling Paul, or Paul's telling Timothy, you make sure the things that you heard, those are the things that you were shared. Don't put no new spin on it. Stay true to the integrity of biblical truth in scriptures that you've learned, Timothy. Paul had Timothy that we see here. He also had Titus. He also had Philemon. And he called them all sons in the faith. That was the inheritance that he was leaving behind. He probably didn't have a dime to leave any of them, but he left them something far greater. Divine influence imprinted on their life because of a true, real walk with Christ. When we look at Isaac, this is one of the things that we have to remember. The supernatural birth. Actually, go back to Genesis So we're looking at who gave the inheritance, now who's earning it, or who's receiving it, I should say. He gave all that he had to Isaac. So who was Isaac? He was the one, it was the one who who really came here through a supernatural birth. He had a relationship with the Father through supernatural birth. And it's those of the supernatural and birth that inherit all things from the Father. Remember what the scripture says, that, that Jesus said, inherit Inherit, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. It influenced Peter where he would remind us that we have an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Who is the for you? The for you is the people who've experienced the supernatural birth. That's why Jesus said, you can't see the kingdom of God, that inheritance, without being born again. There has to be a spiritual birth in your life. There has to be a real moment in life where absolute surrender and trust is put in Jesus Christ, like we're going to look at here in the life of Abraham. They're the ones who inherit it. Not the people who are church, not the people who are religious, and not the people who are moral, but the people who experience the supernatural birth of being born again of the Holy Spirit. That's who gets the inheritance. And under the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, he gave them gifts, and he sent them away from Isaac his son while he lived eastward under the east country. And the, look at, these are the days of Abraham's life, which he lived. A hundred, three score, and 15, 175 years old he lived to be. And 100 of those were walking with God. 100 of those were developing and cultivating a relationship where the end result would be the friend of God, and he dies. But no, the most important thing at the end of the life is a decision that was made prior in that life. Now we look at this and, and we know that 75 years he was a pagan idol worshiper in Ur of the Chaldees. He had 100 years walking with God. I spoke about it before that, that um, James tells us that our life is a vapor, it appears for a little time and it vanishes away. That's talking about our life here on earth. And we look at him here and if, if the trumpet doesn't blow and the church go home, every one of us is going to have our own Genesis 25. We're going to have our last day. But what makes Genesis 25 so wonderful in the life of Abraham was that he had a Genesis 15, where he believed God. He believed in the Lord, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Okay, And, and, and that belief there that, that Paul would later repeat to us in Romans 4, same account, 
written from a New Testament perspective. He said that Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him as righteousness or literally it was charged into his account. That's what was put into his spiritual bank account. All right, Absolute uprightness, perfection in the eyes by a divine standard in the eyes of Almighty God who he's going to stand before someday. And it was all because of what? Because of what he did? Because he sacrificed Isaac? Because he left Ur of the Chaldees? No, because he believed in the Lord. That's why. Faith, trust, that's what it comes down to. His whole life that we can glean from, that we can learn from, the actions, the behaviors, even the mistakes and in, in his belief system and his faithfulness and his obedience, uh, that was all the fruit of this root right here, that he believed in the Lord. Believed in the Lord. And it was a kind of, like you sit here today, look at, I don't, one of the things that Jesus said, of all those you've given me, I've lost none except for the son of perdition, you know, and, and I take that real serious because you choose to come to this church that I know it's not my responsibility, it's God's responsibility, but I don't want anybody to be lost because they're deceived. I don't want anybody thinking that they're, they're going to end up in heaven someday because they're moral, because their good works outweigh their bad works, or because they tithe or anything like that. Do you really trust God? Do you really believe in him? Have you really committed your life, your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been born again of the Holy Spirit? Because things changed in his life at that point. And I think unless you made a commitment to Christ at a young age, I think you need to be able to reference back some point in your past where it all changed when Jesus stepped in. I know that happened for me. I mean, I'm still a work in progress, but my goodness, things begin to change. Do you have a Genesis 15 in your life? Because I'll guarantee you, you're going to have a Genesis 25 in your life. And to me, that isn't something that's drear or morbid. That's something that I anticipate and expect and look very forward to the day when I transfer out of this life and see Jesus face to face. We go from death unto life, the Bible says. We receive our reward. We inherit the kingdom of God that was intended for us before the foundation of the world. But it's so important that you have that experience like Abraham did where full unabandoned trust is put in Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can't just acknowledge the historical Jesus. You've got to trust in the living, resurrected Christ today. Some moment in your life. Transformation. Inside out. So we see here that he died in a good old age. An old man in full of years. That's in italics, means it wasn't in the original text. It literally means that he was full. He had a full life, a filled life. It speaks of satisfaction, it speaks of fulfillment, and it speaks of contentment. That's what he had because he was on a journey of faith, walking with a, a living God. And because of that, he had satisfaction, fulfillment, and contentment. Now, here's the thing. The New Testament reference, Jesus said, that I will give you life and life abundantly. Very similar. There's inward satisfaction because of the work of a living God in you. So you've got to ask yourself today, when we look at this, and we look at Abraham, who's our example? Who is the father of the faith, the father of all those who believe? Are you full or are you empty? Is your life known? Do you... Do you know when you take an honest look at your heart, are you content? Are you fulfilled? Are you satisfied? Because Abraham was. And it wasn't because of what he had, it was because of who he had. And who had him? Because when you got Jesus, I mean, you don't only have his presence, but you have his truth and you have his promises that give you hope, that give you encouragement, that give you purpose. 
Abraham did life right. He didn't do it perfect. He did it right because of who he trusted in. And this is what it says. So he was full and he was gathered to his people. I love that. Gathered to his people. Those who had gone on before him. The people of faith. Speaking of Adam, Abel, Noah, Sarah, his wife. You know, for a believer, we can't even fathom in our limited minds what God has prepared for us. We have no idea in our own human intellect. We can't wrap around what God has prepared for us. But the best part of departing this life as a follower of Jesus Christ is not the what or the where, but it's the who. He emphasizes he's going to be gathered with his people. The union together of those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The reunion that lies ahead for us is God's people. I can't even imagine. It seems like the joy of that moment would kill us. It's going to be so amazing and so wonderful. Imagine crossing into heaven and being embraced by Christ himself, beholding the scars from the wounds that give us entrance. Imagine that moment. In answering the Sadducees' foolish questioning, Jesus, I like that he started, he goes, you err because you know not the scriptures. I mean, these were the professionals. You know, if you ever talk to some professionals, I've talked to them before, man, they're way out of whack with the Bible. But in answering the Sadducees' foolish questions, Jesus said this, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. 1,900 years prior to Christ saying this, Abraham died, but Jesus says he's alive. The Bible speaks a lot about death, but I think it's because God wants his people to have a biblical concept of death. He doesn't want us to have a Hollywood concept of death or an opinion concept. And because the reality of the brevity of life is so short, God wants it to be known in our hearts where we stand with him and how we get to heaven. Imagine culture, imagine society, imagine the United States of America if this was the center of everything again. That would be better than a dream come true. Imagine the lives that would be touched. Imagine the victories that would be given if this was the center of everything again. So throughout the Bible, God is directing his people to a full, to a blessed life. He prepares us how to live in this life, not just exist in this life, and then he prepares us for the next life. And it says here, And his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, they buried him in the cave. Now there's no account of these two even having any relationship or or even meeting since Ishmael was removed for his mockery of Isaac and conflict between Hagar and Sarah previously in the other chapters. So we don't know what this union was like. But we do know this, that death offers the, the opportunity for reconciliation of two parties that are at war. That's what the death of Jesus did with the Jews and the Gentiles. And, And... If we have conflict between someone that the best thing that we can choose is the life of death and selflessness to exercise the forgiveness and the grace to play our part in a reconciliation of something that has been previously divided. In the field which Abraham purchased to the sons of Hath, there was Abraham buried and Sarah his wife. So that was the end result of his possessions. He had a little burial plot in a cave. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. Now, one of the things that I think we really got to consider here, because 
my prayer for this year for myself, for our church, is that God would really bring an awakening. I think there needs to be a huge awakening on the church in this country. I don't think we've needed it any more than we need it right now. I don't think that the blanket of spiritual lethargy has been thicker than it is right now across our country, and we need an awakening. And I need one. I'm not saying you need one. We need one. But here's the bottom line. So we depart from Abraham, and then it moves on into verse 11. It came to pass after the death of Abraham, God blessed his son Isaac. So what happens here? The work of God continues to move on. But the important thing, like Abraham, are you going to seize the opportunity that God wants to give you to fulfill your purposes for furthering his kingdom? Because we've only got that short period that we call life. It's only a vapor. But if it's yielded to him day after day, presenting ourselves to him as his possession, how would you... What do you, how do you want to use me today, God, in the place that I have to go to work, in the neighborhood that I live, with the family that you've given me, the church that I'm in, and we keep our hearts open to what the Spirit of God wants to minister to us, how he wants to use us, that we, like Abraham, we, we might die people that certainly weren't perfect and made our blunders and mistakes, but at least there'll be no regrets because we live for him and not for ourselves. But you see, those are decisions not to make at the end of our life. It's to make now before we reach the end of our life. Maybe we need to absorb more in what he did on that cross so, so that we actually would, would desire to give Christ more of ourselves and not hold back. But just back up in verse 10 here, his burial place, you know, that, that's the life that speaks. You know, what did that life speak? Well, it spoke to us out of Hebrews 11, right? That he considered himself a sojourner and a pilgrim on the earth. He didn't see himself as a settler. He recognized that this isn't my home. I'm a stranger. I'm just passing through because he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. That's the way he chose to live. And I believe that's the way the people of faith are called to live. We need to remember that today the the church in America is offering too much easy believism. Say this magic prayer and you can go to heaven. And I tell people all the time when I try to lead them to Christ and I use kind of the sinner's prayer as kind of an outline, but I let them know, look, this is no magic prayer, but if you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, what he did for you, you can receive the forgiveness of sins. But we need to remember that we've been called to a life of discipleship, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Christ. We're no longer our own possession, calling all the shots in our life like we used to. That was the non-redeemed life. The redeemed life says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Lord, what wilt thou, how would you have me to live? Lord, I'm your purchased possession. How do you want to use me today? Speak for your servant hears. Disciples were learners who walked with Jesus. So we look at Abraham, consider who he lived for, consider what he lived for, and ask ourselves the same question. Who am I living for and what am I living for? Is the kingdom of this life so big that it clouds out the kingdom of the next? Or do I allow the kingdom of this life to dissipate so I got a clearer view of the kingdom of the next? You know, before I cleaned my office out, I had like pictures of godly men and and, and there are tombstones on, on my office wall. They're reminders to me. Um, Tozer's tombstone simply says a man of God. Ravenhill's tombstone is classic Ravenhill. On his tombstone it says, Are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? Billy Graham's tombstone says, The preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chuck Smith says, Jesus never fails. You see, those gravestones have a little message that speaks something, but really it was the life 
that those tombstones represent that speak the greater message. So as we move on here from Abraham now into the life of Isaac, like I said, the work of God continues to move on. Take advantage of the life he's given you today. I pray that God drives each one of us towards the life of reward. Not for the reward as much as for the work that it was accomplished in other people's lives that gave us the reward. So we see here that, that Isaac, and, the, and God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the well of Laharoi. Now remember, we saw this in the life of Hagar, this well, and, and we saw it last week that, that when Rebekah showed up, that that's where Isaac was coming from. He was coming from this well. And the well, Laharoi, literally means the God who lives and who sees me. So what do we find here? We find that Isaac is, is getting his thirst quenched at the place that means living in God's presence. We have a greater thirst within us than physical thirst. I know that because I could take you to the roadside of where I was one night looking up into the heavens as an unredeemed man having a thirst in my soul, wondering if this was all life was about. And it wasn't too long after that, Christ harvest my soul. But it really is, so the God who lives and who sees me, it really is the presence of God, the person of God, that is going to satisfy the thirsty soul. And I think he learned that from his dad. I think Isaac probably learned that as part of his heritage, part of his father's legacy to his life, that my dad didn't thirst for the, the things of this world that can't really satisfy a thirst because his thirst was quenched. That interior thirst was quenched because his relationship with a living God was so real. And, and when your relationship with a living God is so real, you don't go out there after that mirage the devil wants to place in your life that just says if you had this or if you had him or if you had her, then what's going on inside of you is going to be quenched. No, it's Christ. It's in Jesus. Drinking, taking in from the person of Christ, from the words and the promises of Christ, that's, that's what quenches the thirst of a soul. That's what brings satisfaction. That's what brings that contentment. That at the end will leave us like Abraham, full. Not full of years, not full of life, but just full. That we'll find our contentment in him. And, and so now these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's handmaid, bare unto Abraham. And a lot of these names became Nations that would have a lot of Islamic influence. All right, I'm not going to butcher the names. You can go through them yourself. Um, but it says here that, and these are the years of the life of Ishmael, verse 17, 137 years. So Ishmael lived 137 years, and he gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people. It seems that there's a good chance from what this verse says right here that, that Ishmael, um, actually the, the, the influence of the true and living God, impacted him enough, Abraham's God, that it's possible that this guy, according to this verse, actually is in heaven. And they dwelt from Havaya unto Shur, that is before Egypt, as thou goest towards Assyria. And he died in the presence of all his brethren. 
And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. And, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel the Syrian, of Padamaram, his sister, to Laban the Syrian. So verse 21 says this. So Isaac was 40 when he got married, all right? He got hitched when he was 40. Um, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because... She was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So, you know, you look at this, and the bottom line is for us, we got to remember that a lot of times the promises of God come on the other side of patience. All right? We see that in Hebrews 6.15, referring to the birth of Isaac, after he, Abraham, had patiently endured, he obtained the promise, okay? After what? After patient, patient endurance, okay? Now, we know he got a little impulsive agreeing with his wife, kind of made a mistake with Hagar and Ishmael, but, but eventually Isaac would come after Abraham had patiently endured, then he obtained the promise. But, but what we see here in verse 21, okay? Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. He had a, she had a situation in her life that was out of his control. All right? And, and what did he do? He goes to God in prayer. So, so we look at this, and I think that, that this is the wisdom of Isaac, and it's an example to husbands, but it's also an example to spouses, that the work that God wants to do within is only something that he can accomplish. All right, so what does that mean? That means that, look, at husbands and wives, we live with one another, we see one another's imperfections, and there's some changes that we'd like to see on the inside of one another maybe from time to time, but it's not going to be. The areas that you identify in your spouse, they're not going to change by your logic, they're not going to change by your nagging, and they're not going to change by arguing. They change by calling on the living God to do a wonderful work for his glory. That's how they change. So everything changed in their situation because God was brought into the equation. So once God's brought into the equation, his will can be done. So, so she conceives, okay, after he prays for her. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it, she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. So there's like this war going on, man. It's like WWF inside of her womb. And the Lord said unto her, look at two nations are in thy womb. And two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. The one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Now, this is something she would not forget, because I believe she's going to share this with Jacob and probably Isaac, but there's two rival nations taking place in this womb. We're going to see she's going to give birth to two boys, twins. One is Jacob that become Israel, and the other one's Esau that would become Edom and the Edomites that were at war with one another. And when, it, when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, okay? So we see what's going on inside of her? War. War's going on inside of her, okay? Two opposing forces coming after one another. If you will, go to Galatians 5 with me for a moment. To me, this is a picture of the life of the believer, and it's got nothing to do with pregnancy. We're sitting here today, you know, very similar to Rebecca. She had two opposing forces <laughs> with conflict inside of her. It's the same for you and I here today. Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. As I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It's going to reference two things, Spirit, the redeemed nature, 
flesh, the fallen nature, both of them living within our lives. The flesh wanting the things that it wants, opposed to the direction of God for our life. The spirit leading us, guiding us in a way that's good for us, honoring God in our lives. Life of impact for the kingdom. But he says, walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look at this. For the flesh war, lusteth or wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Literally in the Greek, it gives a picture of both of them have their heels dug in. And they're contrary one to another. They're contrary. They're, They're exact opposites of one another. So you cannot do the things that you would. But here's the thing, when you examine your life and when you're honest with yourself, because God already knows, and, and, and sometimes we've got to be honest with ourselves because sometimes honesty produces the brokenness and the repentance that gives us new life and new direction. This is what he says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, and he goes and he lists all these works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like, of which I tell you as I've told you before in time past, they which continue to live in this lifestyle shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's very serious. That's the flesh life. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the byproduct of having your roots in Jesus, in the work of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life, the fruit of that, what, what will come forth from that life is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Those are the things that we have to ask ourselves. Which life am I yielding to? Go to Romans 6 real quick. Romans 6 says this, Paul writes this, he says, Neither yield, don't, don't yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. He says, don't submit to that. But yield yourselves unto God. So he's saying, there's, you're going to yield in one or two directions. He says, don't go the direction of sin. Keep yourself yielded to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness Unto God. But verse 16 says, Know you not to, to whom you yield yourself servants to obey? His servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So every day is a continual challenge to keep myself yielded in the direction of God for my life so that I wouldn't come underneath the bondage of sin, but I can live the life of liberty and freedom I've been promised in Christ. That's what Jesus has promised us, right? We should be the most free people on this earth, not just because we're saved, but because we're living a yielded life to the authority of God and to the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, I heard a long time ago that there was a dog fight, you know, that where they have dog fights. You get in trouble in this country for doing that, but in other countries, they fight dogs and everything, and, and this one guy always won the dog fight, and, uh, you know, he bet his money on it, and, and somebody asked him, well, how do you know which dog's going to win the fight? And he says, that's easy. He goes, I own both dogs. He goes, whichever dog I feed is the dog that's going to win the fight. So we got to ask ourselves today, truly, are we feeding our spirit or are we feeding our flesh? Got to keep yielding thoughts. We've been told to take them captive. Our eyes, which direction they go. Our words, knowing that death and life come from them. And our actions, which are a byproduct of our relationship with Christ. Keep those things yielded to God. We're going to take communion today. 
What a great way to go into 2022, first Sunday of the year, remembering the greatest act of love ever displayed with you at the focal point. You all okay with that? Can we do that? All right. The pulse out there. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. He's the first begotten of the dead, and he is the prince of the kings of the earth, no matter what it looks like right now. This land that your feet are currently planted on and are soon to be ruled by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you know him, you're going to rule with him. Unto him who loved us, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Jesus said, you're clean through my blood. You're forgiven through my blood. You put your trust in me, who I am, and the work I did on the cross for you. You make me your Lord and Savior. You're clean. You're forgiven. You're free. He's made us. But look at this. And he has made us kings. I know you don't feel like royalty, but believe me, from heaven's perspective, you are. And from earth's perspective, soon to be. And priests. The priests were the ones that represented God to the people and the people to God. That's what we get to be. Unto God and his Father, to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But we take communion today because Paul said that we're supposed to do this in remembrance of him until he comes back for us. That the love of God would continue to be something that we would reflect on, that it would be something that would continually renew us and even sometimes reset us by giving us the grace to maybe repent of anything that we see in our lives where maybe we need to get the slate clean today. Because two things as we look back, our God who loves us has secured us with his love and as we look forward, he's coming back for us, his bride, who he loves so much and and, and that gives us great hope in our life. That we are the people of privilege because we serve the only true living God. So as we take communion today, you know the way we do it around here, the worship team plays and you get some time to, to just sit with the Lord as, as, you know, they pass out the cracker and the juice. And, and really, it's just time to go before the Lord and, and really to say, speak, Lord, because I'm listening. And to give him the praise. You know, Lord, I, rep, I, I recognize that this isn't some ritual I'm partaking in here today. But I recognize, Lord, that about 2,000 years ago, you shed blood. And I want to say thank you. I don't want to just say thank you with my lips. I want to say thank you with my life and how I live it for you. And a cracker representing your body being broken, that what you did on the cross has broken the curse of sin over my life. I am no longer bound. I am chained to you and your freedom forever. And we appreciate it. And we give them the praise from our heart, not just the praise from our lips. Because Jesus Christ is the most wonderful thing in the world and should be the most wonderful thing in our world. So Father, we bless your name. We thank you so much for your heart, Lord, as as you are just willing to, to offer up your Son for us who at one time were enemies, blasphemers. Lord, the list can go on and on. But you've allowed us to be born again of your Spirit. And just like we saw today, Lord, that it's that supernatural birth of faith that gives us an inheritance that each one of us in Christ should be looking forward to. And anyone here that's outside of Christ, they should be looking for you to bring redemption to their heart. We want to thank you so much for your willingness to sacrifice yourself so that we could be yours forever. Lord, your word says that 
for the joy that was set before you. You endured that cross, Lord, to think that you could look 2,000 years into the future and, and see us sitting here in Old Paz Chapel and you could take joy in your heart and use that as part of your willingness to endure the cross because we were the focal point of your love. Lord, how could we not be worshipers of you? <laughs> we bless you and we thank you, Lord. I, I pray, God, that, that you would really would, that you'd bring an awakening to us. I pray for revival for each of us. I pray that this would be a year where each one of us would fall into you and not fall away from you. That by your spirit, Lord, that we just wouldn't try to pull ourselves up by our own spiritual bootstraps, but by your spirit, that we'd stay yielded, Lord, and recognize our weakness and cry out to you for your strength and your help to be what you've called us to be. We bless your name. Thank you that you want to be the friend of everyone here today, just like you were to Abraham. But as we take communion, Lord, greater love hath no man in this that he lay down his life for his friends. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. We thank you, Lord. May our heart be baptized with gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.